0: And I blew it. It's like in high school, your teacher gave you a book assignment for Tom Sawyer, and you come in with Huckleberry Finn. And uh, so instead of having prepared a sermon on John, I prepared a sermon from James. And so please forgive me, Pastor. You're gracious. Um, Although when I looked at the chapter uh, in John, I said, I could preach this. Uh, Which reminded me of the story of the preacher who came And told his congregation, I had prepared a sermon, but the Holy Spirit told me to preach this this morning. And then as the people went out, they were saying, man, I wish he had preached what he had prepared. Uh, So that's a cautionary tale. Um, And so if you have your Bibles with you, uh, or I think it might be on the screen, we are going uh, to look at The book of James, chapter 2, the second chapter of James. And we're going to begin reading at verse 14. In my church home in Chattanooga, our pastor makes us stand up for the reading of the word. So would you join me as we read the text this morning? Hear the word of the Lord. What good is it, my brothers... if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray. Holy Father, we're asking for an anointing from the Holy Spirit, that you, Lord, would speak from your word to our hearts today, that you, Holy Father, would get all the glory through the name and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask, Lord, for any unsaved who are here that they might come to know Jesus and be saved. We have already prayed and asked you to forgive us our sins, and we have many. And we ask again, Lord, please cleanse our hearts. And Lord, I pray that our hearts would be warmed and filled with the truth from the word today, and you alone would get the glory. And we ask it all in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. Now, the title of my sermon this morning is, For Goodness' Sake, Do Something Good. For goodness' sake, do something good. Amen? Amen. Now, this, and by way of introduction, I have to tell you, this is a very problematic text. If you are an evangelical, If you are Reformed, if you are a Protestant, if you are somebody who knows the teaching of the Apostle Paul, if you are somebody who is familiar with the Protestant Reformation, all of those things would say, when you read this text, you get a little nervous. Because you know that so much of what Protestant evangelical theology says is that we are saved by grace, Amen. through faith, and that not by works, lest any man should boast. That comes from Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll talk about that a little, a little while. But the whole struggle back in the 1500s, 1517, when Martin Luther nailed his theses to the door, church door at Wittenberg uh, and began the Protestant Reformation was this idea that the Roman church had begun to tell the people that you must do many different things if you wanted the hope of heaven. And if you did not do those many different things, you would not go to heaven. You had, in essence, to earn your way to heaven. And this was a problem the Apostle Paul talked about in Romans chapter 4. When he talks about what happened with Abraham, he said, you know, in in the days of Abraham, Abraham was given the covenant of circumcision, where you cut off a piece of skin from every baby boy. And if you didn't cut that piece of skin off, you really were not part of the people of God. And the children of Israel began to say, that's how you get into God's family. You obey God. You get circumcised. And you obey the commandments. And you go up to the tabernacle or the temple with your sacrifices. And you make a sacrifice. And if you don't do those things, you don't know God. Well, here comes Jesus. And he calls on people to believe on him. And instead of emphasizing circumcision... Or emphasizing the obedience of the law. He says that if you believe in me and follow me, you will be saved. In fact, John says uh, in chapter 20 of his gospel, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and that by believing, you might have life through his name. And so what happened was the people during the Middle Ages, they were tricked, as it were. They were deceived, and they began to think, I- I've got to go to church, and I've got to give confession, and-, and I've got to do penance, and I've got to show God I'm really sorry. And-, and some people did kind of extreme things to show that they were sorry for their sins. Amen. Sometimes they would wear hair shirts under their clothes, you know. If- I don't know how many of you wear wool underwear, I don't know anybody who does. <laughs> but can you imagine, you, you said, I, I purposely want to wear scratchy clothes to be irritated all day long because I feel bad for my sins. And, and surely some of you deserve to wear scratchy underwear because you've been bad sinners. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, now, you say, Pastor, you don't even know me. Oh, ho, ho. all have sinned. I've sinned. We're, we're all dead in our trespasses and sins until Christ saves us. And so we're all guilty. We we could all, you know, and I'll tell you, sometimes guilt can just eat you up. Yeah. You can feel so bad about the failures of your life. And you can say, I want to make it up to God. And so the way to make it up to God is to make myself feel miserable. And so Martin Luther, as he read the Bible, he said, That's not the gospel. The gospel is good news, not bad news. It, can you imagine if the gospel was bad news? To say like The way to get to God is to suffer. The way to get to God is to be miserable. The way to get to God is to punish yourself all your life. And if, and if you do it enough, maybe, just maybe God will have mercy. That's not good news. That's bad news. Amen. The good news of the gospel is that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The good news of the gospel is that by faith we are saved. The good news of the gospel is that by believing in the shed blood of Christ on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, we are saved. And so Martin Luther, he began to speak against what he thought were the errors of the Roman church. And that started what is now called the Protestant church. Now, when he read the book of James... He was a little bit irritated. Martin Luther did not really like this book. And he really struggled. Should this book even be in the Bible? Because when I read the book of Romans, and I read the book of James, it, at first glance, it seems like they're contradicting each other. The book of Romans is saying we're saved by faith. And the book of James is saying, no, no, you got to have works. But please understand this. They are talking about two different problems. They are not fighting each other. They're fighting two different enemies. Paul is fighting the enemy of the idea that we are saved by the works of the law. James is fighting the idea that faith can happen without a change of life. That faith is just something you know or believe, but it doesn't work out in how you live. Two different issues they are fighting. They're not in contradiction, they're in perfect harmony. So I just want to say that up front, all right? Everybody with me there? Okay. It's still, it's still tough. Now, he gives us four examples to show us uh, what real faith is and what false faith is. And those four examples are first of all, the poor. You notice there in chapter two, he says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. In other words, this example is words aren't enough. Words aren't enough. And you know, in America, we have a lot of churches, and we have a lot of people who say they're Christians. You know the the old gospel song, everybody talking about heaven ain't going there? That's true. A lot of people in America will tell you, oh, do, do you know God? Yeah, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, I asked him into my heart. And then living like the devil, They're going around raising hell, and they don't think they're going there. And I just want to say to you this morning, that's a big mistake. It's not, it's not easy faith. It's not just words that save people. It's real faith. It's, it's coming to God knowing you're a sinner knowing you need salvation, knowing you need to be washed in the blood of Christ, being broken by your failure, and coming to the cross of Christ and saying, Lord, you're my only hope, and you throw yourself on him to be saved. You don't just say magic words, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I believe you died for me, amen. We're not saved by magic words. We're saved by the grace of God changing our hearts, So the question is, has God done that for you? Uh, In the passage I was supposed to preach, but I'm not preaching this morning, John 13, Jesus said, if I don't wash you, you don't have anything to do with me. And so you need a washing from the Lord Jesus Christ to be part of, of, of his family, to be a Christian. And you can tell me, no, no, pastor, I said those words. or I was baptized. I joined the church. But if there is no evidence in your life, then maybe you need to get back to the cross and cry out for deliverance. You know, as they say, just because you find a mouse in your cookie jar doesn't make them a cookie. And James gives a very specific example of good works, even as he shows you the distinction between words and works. He's talking about the poor. And so many of us Christians, we talk a good game, but when it comes to the poor, we don't show up. When it comes to people who are really hurting, they, they don't have anything to eat. They don't have the clothes to wear. They don't have a place to stay. And we just think, well, they need to be saved. Yeah, they need to be saved. But they need a meal, too. They need some clothes, too. They need a job, too. So it's not just saying something or having nice ideas. It's actually being able to live it out. All right, that was the first example. The second example is demons. Now, this, this is kind of a... A scary idea, he says in verse nineteen. You believe that God is one, and that was uh, one of the statements of faith of the Jewish community. Hear, O Israel: The Lord your God, the Lord is one. We believe in one God, not many gods. Now we believe that there's one God, and He exists in three persons: the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But these three are one. There's not three gods. There's just one God who exists in three persons. Very mysterious, all right? And it says, "You believe that God is what you do well. James compliments you. That's good. <laughs> but then he says, "But you know who else believes that? Demons believe that. Now here, here's an interesting thing. It's not just believing that Jesus is the Christ the son of the living God. It's not just believing that there is one God. It's having a relationship with him that counts. Demons don't have a relationship with God. And I would venture to say that demons probably have a better knowledge of God than you do. You know, demons live in the spiritual world. They, they, when Jesus was on earth and somebody was uh, possessed of a demon and Jesus showed up, the demons would often say, we know who you are. They knew who, that he was the son of God. They knew he had power, and they were afraid of him. Now, I would say they appreciate him probably more than a lot of you do, more than I do. They, they knew exactly what, that he could cast them into hell. They were terrified. You know, here in the Presbyterian church, we're really good at knowing a lot. That's one of our reputations. And uh, anytime we have an issue, we study it. And so if, if I come to tell you that God wants you to help the poor and to practice uh, justice and to, and to live out racial reconciliation, one of the temptations of Presbyterians is, give me a book. I'm going to read about that. I want to learn all I can about that. That's good, but why don't you do something? You know, it it your knowledge doesn't help you unless you put it to work. You can read all you want, you can study all you want, but it's a very Presbyterian temptation that any issue that comes up, we study it some more. I I was listening to one preacher last week. He said I went to a prayer meeting. And he said, we talked about prayer for 55 minutes. Then somebody said, we only got five minutes left. So then they prayed for those five minutes. That is a very Presbyterian approach to prayer. Brothers and sisters, the demons believe and they tremble. Now, what do you do with your knowledge? you need to even get past trembling. And you need, to let, you need to let the work of God in your life produce some fruit. When you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, when you are joined to the work of Christ, see, when you really get saved, You become one with Christ. You are joined to his work on the cross, his burial in the tomb, and his resurrection. And all that is Christ becomes yours. And he begins to live in your life, and he empowers your life. You cannot live the Christian life just by dedication and by trying. You live the life indwelt by the Spirit of Christ. I am crucified with Christ. Paul says, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That the, the power, the secret to living a Christian life that, that comes out in the fruits of the Spirit and the works of grace are because Christ dwells within us. And so what your words are not enough. Your knowledge is not enough, but there has to be a transformation. How do we know grace has worked in your life? Because there's a transformation in the way you live it. All right. Then he talks about Abraham, and this is is exactly where people say, oh, there's a difference between the way Paul talks about Abraham and James talks about Abraham. But remember this. James is saying Abraham had faith. He is not contradicting Paul and saying, no, 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 no. It was not faith that saved Abraham. It was circumcision that saved him. And it was being willing to sacrifice Isaac that saved him. No. What James is saying is Abraham believed God. And because he believed God, he was willing to offer his own son Isaac up. If God said to him, I want you to take your son, your only son, That I promised you in your old age I would give you, and you believed me, you trusted me that I would give you a son. Even though your body was as good as dead, you trusted me that I could give you and Sarah a son in your old age. And I gave him to you. Now he's about 12 years old. I want you to take him up on the mountain, and I want you to kill him. I want you to sacrifice him to me. Prove to me that you really do trust me. So Abraham got Isaac, and he got wood, and he got, a, got fire, went to the mountain, took Isaac up. And Isaac said, Father, I, I see the wood, I, I see the fire, but where's the sacrifice? And Abraham said, God, God himself will supply the sacrifice. And they went up there. Now, now, what's interesting is the book of Hebrews says that Abraham believed that he could kill Isaac, and but God could actually raise Isaac from the dead. Amen. He had that kind of faith. God told him to do something, I'm going to do it, because God told me he'd give me a son. God told me I'd have so many uh, children from this son, it would be like the stars in the sky. I know God's going to keep his promise. God will not lie to me. So if, even if I kill Isaac, he's going to bring him back. Right. Wow. That's some kind of faith. But it wasn't the kind of faith that sat in his tent when God said, I want you to to kill Isaac as a sacrifice, and said, You know, God, that's a good idea. I believe that. I'm not going. I'm not, you know, I'm not gonna do it. But I trust that you could do that if you wanted to. That is not saving faith. Saving faith isn't sitting in your seat knowing what God could do. It's putting your trust in God and taking that risk. Wow. Brothers and sisters, some of you have talked a good game, but you have not lived it. You know a lot. Some of you know so much. You could, you could teach Sunday school for the rest of your life. You don't, you don't have to be a student anymore. You, you got it down. You know the Bible. You know the Westminster Confession of Faith. You know theology. You know all the Bible stories. The question is, is there any fruit in your life to show it? Now, Now, please understand this. James is not just talking about being good. A lot of Christianity in America is you get saved, and now we tell you to be good. And we have almost missed the point of salvation is to do good. Amen. What do I mean? Well, look. okay, look with me in the book of Ephesians. Let's go there. The book of Ephesians chapter 2. This is the great text about how we get saved. But it's also the great text for why we are saved. Verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For, look, keep going with me, for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus, why? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you get it? It is God's grace, his sovereign grace that comes on you, opens your eyes to believe in Jesus. You see your sin. You see, man, I messed up I'm going to go to hell if I keep living this way. You come to Jesus and you say, Lord, save me. His blood washes you clean, makes you whole again. The Holy Spirit is making all of this happen. And then, not only do you start to be good, and that's right full stop. That's where a lot of Christians just stop. I got saved by grace. I'm forgiven of my sins. And now I try not to. And that, that's, their, that's their whole life, is not to. I, 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 I don't lie. I don't cheat. I don't steal. I, I don't lust after people. And I, I don't covet. And you know, and I'm trying not to all the time. And, and, but that's, you're not a full Christian yet in the way you live. You have been created for good works, yeah. which God's already prepared for you to do. Good Good works? What is that? What's what Jesus talked about when he told the Pharisees? He said, look, you know, you tithe everything. You tithe mint, dill, rue, and cumin, you know, all the little spices. But you neglect the weightier matters of the law like justice and mercy. The weightier matters. If if you're going to focus on the law, let's focus on the heavy parts of it. The heavy parts are justice. And mercy. You do you? Are you a champion of justice? You standing up for people who are trodden down, beat down, oppressed? Are you a champion of mercy? Are you somebody who actually loves mercy and lives it out? Do you act, do you actually share your life with, and your bread with the hungry? Because that's the kind of religion God wants. And so, what what I'm trying to preach to you this morning is that you you need sort of to close the loop on this. Do you really have saving faith? Has Christ affected your life for good? And then, his last example is Rahab. And Rahab's just one of the cool heroines of the Bible. You know, she was a total loser. You know, her name literally means wide place on the wall. And uh, it, she was named for wide place on the wall because she was a hooker. She was a prostitute. And uh, when people would say, well, where can I find the lady of the night? They say, oh, she's at, she lives on the wide place on the wall. That's, that's where her house was. And uh, she didn't live down with the regular folk. She was, she was on the edge of town which put her in a perfect place to hide the spies from Israel. And they came to her house. And she was a Canaanite. And God had told the children of Israel, you come into the land of Canaan, kill them all. They're nasty people. They're idol worshipers. They're evil. There's nothing good in them. I want you to wipe them out. So here she was, a Canaanite and a bad Canaanite. She was was a a Canaanite and an immoral Canaanite. Okay, this woman, no hope. But she said, I've heard about your God, and I know what he's doing, and I want to change sides. (laughs) And she trusted God, and she said, I will hide you, and I'll send you out a different way. And they said, all right, if you do that. We're going to make you one of our people. Sure enough, when Jericho fell down, the walls of Jericho fell down, she was saved. And she became a Jewish woman. She became one of the ancestors of Jesus. But her faith was revealed in her action. So those are the four examples. So brothers and sisters, that's my sermon. For goodness sake... For righteousness' sake, to show that there has been justification taking place in your life, do something good. Oh, brothers, it's important to believe. Amen. 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 That's how it all starts, by trusting in Christ. It's important to know. We keep needing to, and that was Paul's ambition. I want to know the Lord, and I want to keep on pressing to know the Lord. But how do you, how is that how is that known to God to other people and to yourself by that spiritual transformation that brings out goodness in your life. Amen. Let's pray.